Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Along an arid stretch of ranch land in the Inland Empire, in the fast-growing city of Menifee, there's this subdivision that feels kind of like you're stepping into the future. From the outside, these houses look pretty standard. They're tan, one-story homes, and they've got terracotta or shingle roofs. But inside... Everything electric, our stove to our full system here. Electric water heaters, space heaters, clothes dryers. They're all super energy efficient and super quiet. I have the duct fan off right now. Turn it back on, and the fan is on. But you hear nothing in your laundry room. And the renewable energy just pours in. Every home in this community has solar. Every home has the backup battery. Letting you store that sun power for when it gets dark out. And beyond that, there is a community battery also to back up and create another layer of resilience. A shipping container-sized battery for the whole neighborhood. All the houses here are connected to it and to each other. This community can function even when the main power grid goes down. No power outages so far, and if there is ever a power outage in the future, we're covered with our microgrids. This is all pretty cool, not just because you can control the house like it's an iPhone. It's cool because each home releases nearly zero greenhouse gases. Each house makes a lot of its own energy and is extremely efficient. Roughly a quarter of California's carbon emissions come from our buildings and from the energy that powers them. And we need to cut those emissions down to next to nothing if we're going to avoid the scary effects of a globe that's heating up because of climate change. Making a new home like this one green is pretty easy if you're starting from scratch, but it gets a whole lot harder when it comes to converting the millions of homes here in California that already exist, the ones where most of us live. I'm pretty lucky because I do live in an older house, but it has solar panels on it, and I could bring down my carbon emissions by a lot if I swapped out my gas power water heater, my furnace, my stove, my clothes dryer with new electric ones. But all those appliances cost a lot of money. What if there was another way to help neighbors go fully electric? I'm Sasha Coca, and today on the California Report magazine, we're bringing you a story from KQED's podcast, Sold Out. Rethinking Housing in America. Climate reporter Laura Clivens takes us to East Oakland, where one city block is taking a revolutionary approach to reducing their emissions by electrifying together all at once. 
There's a street in Oakland, a cul-de-sac. As you walk toward its end, it gets quieter and quieter. You'll find all kinds of people here. We have really old homes, Victorian-type homes. Duplexes, apartment buildings. I love the creek, all the trees. Lots of gardens. I get all kinds of birds. Squirrels. Butterflies. We're right off of Fruitvale Avenue. The store and all the traffic. Loud music, cars, fireworks. I've seen it go through many changes. So many different economic groups, four or five languages easily. Me han adaptado a ser parte de, de la comunidad de vecinos, independientemente de qué nacionalidad sea. The community here is palpable. We have WhatsApp thread where folks will announce when they have figs or lemons. We have a block party every year. The tight-knit community here is due in large part to a handful of people. One of them is musician Isaac Zones. Hey, Laura. Hi. Thanks for being patient with me. Isaac's all about community. He's the kind of guy who reaches out. He doesn't just give a thumbs up on a text message, he hearts it. Seven years ago, Isaac and his wife Vivian bought a home here. One of the first things they did was kick off a block party, which has become an August tradition. We went door to door and introduced ourselves and encouraged people to come and, you know, we had no idea if it would happen. But people came. Someone made a cake and they sang happy birthday to the street which has become a ritual since then. Um, so there were some very funny like things like that. But it takes real work to build those ties. There is a sense of camaraderie on the block, but it feels tenuous sometimes. Part of that, I think, is having a group that's so diverse racially and class-wise. Like, there's just a lot to sift through to like find each other and feel connected and feel like we can trust each other. Isaac is the one who first heard about an interesting opportunity. A friend sent him an email that read, do you and your neighbors want to save money on your energy bills, reduce carbon emissions, and survive the next power outage? Basically, I read it as like, free solar for everybody on my block. This sounds great. But it's not just free solar. It's a research project called EcoBlock, and it's run out of UC Berkeley. The point is to figure out how to quickly cut the carbon pollution produced by existing homes. That means replacing inefficient appliances, installing solar panels, and connecting those solar-powered homes to a battery that can keep the lights on when all else fails. There was a plan to have like a shared electric vehicle on the block. And all these perks would be free. In turn, the researchers at UC Berkeley would get to learn. Can this be replicated? What does it take legally, financially, and technically to pull it off? And super important, what does it take socially? Homeowners would need to sign on, and some would need to help manage community assets, like a shared backup battery. Part of the application was like, draw us a map of all the houses that have like signed off and said they want to participate. So I, uh, to be honest, I fudged that. About a month after he turned in the application, Isaac heard their block was a finalist. And then my competitive juices got flowing. Again, he went door to door, like he did for the block party. He signed folks up for real. We did finally get word that we were being chosen to be the eco-block, which was, felt like a huge victory. Vivian Santana Pacheco is married to Isaac. This community is a huge part of her life, too. All these veggies bursting from garden boxes on the street, they're mostly her doing. So I've been helping people, you know, use the space that they have to, to grow food. And, like, I've started a ton of tomatoes in my living room. Vivian thinks about the climate crisis all the time. She's one of five homeowners who's leading the Neighborhood Association for EcoBlock. And here's one other big reason she and Isaac are so invested. Meow. 
their four-year-old. His name is Moises, but right now he's, you know, a cat. We want this world to be a habitable one for him, being able to say, like, we did as much as we could to, to be part of that. And already I feel like we're behind and that I'm not doing enough. This feels more tangible than showing up to a protest. Across the street and just a few doors down, I meet up with another family. Ismael Placencia, or Is, shows me around the two-bedroom apartment they rent. There's a lot of life packed in here. It's a leopard gecko. Sometimes you can call her. And up in the tall Tupperware on the mantle. The spider was, it was like a tiny house spider. And we've been raising it for the past two months. Plus, there are snails. A lot of snails. I think I have 21 of them. That's six-year-old Ismael Jr. Both Ismaels plus mom Cheryl Klein-Smith and their daughter moved here about five years ago. It's nice, just tons of windows. And then we realized how hot it got in this place. When it's hot, it's hot. When it's cold, it's very cold. So when they heard about EcoBlock, they wanted in. But they would need to get their property owners to sign on. I reached out to them and they are like, oh yeah, this, some guy's been calling us. That guy you know, was Isaac. It's like, it's too good to be true. We're, we, we don't want to do any of that. And, you know, I was like, well, it does kind of sound too good to be true. Um, I get that. Um, but I'm like, you know, what do you have to lose? I'm like, you know, it's, it's going to increase your property value. The owners agreed, as long as Iz and Cheryl went to the meetings and shared back. While they don't own their place now, they'd like to someday. I was super interested in, in the project, so I'm like, even just for educational purposes, I'd, I'd love to just sit in on these meetings, so totally would do that. One of the upgrades Cheryl is and other neighbors would get is a heat pump. It's a machine that works as both a heater and an AC. It's electric and way more efficient than the wall heater they never turn on. They'd get to ditch their gas-powered water heater, too. Right now, it sits behind a wooden door in their kitchen. When that's gone and the new electric water heater is installed outside, Cheryl's got a vision. Maybe that's crazy, but one of the things I'm most excited about is getting a pantry instead of a water heater. Iz and Cheryl both grew up here in Oakland. They both work in Oakland. She's a scheduler in a surgeon's office, and he runs community programs for an art school. Even as rents have increased, they've made it work to stay and raise their kids here. What they saw in EcoBlock was a commitment to all of Oakland, not just the wealthier parts of the city where people could probably afford to upgrade their own homes. It presented this, like, this opportunity to transform Oakland in a way that, you know, I don't think that, that most folks would have prioritized a, a community like this. But projects like this are just, you know, they're inspiring to me just to, to know that we can transform a neighborhood that could potentially transform a whole community. This project didn't start with the residents, though. It started in the minds of researchers. Like Therese Peffer, she walks me around the block, often stopping as she goes through an invisible mental checklist. Right now, she's kicking around leaves and staring at the sidewalk beneath her. I was told that there was a water meter seven feet away from that tree, and I didn't even see it. She's looking for a spot where she could place a charger for a shared electric vehicle. Because it has to be so far away from the pole, from the meter, from a fire hose. Oh, it can't be so close to that. Oh, here, there's a red curb here. Most of her days are made up of details like this. 
This is where the electrification rubber meets the road. Therese has been fascinated with energy for decades. She spent a chunk of her 20s living off the grid in Oregon, in a community powered by just the sun and wind. And I just learned a ton about really living within your means, especially your energy means. I brought up a toaster oven one time and and we could only use it when the sun was very plentiful that day, no clouds, and if the wind was blowing really hard. She became captivated by how to reduce carbon emissions that come from people's homes. Not the brand new ones like at that futuristic Southern California development, but the homes that have been around for decades here in Oakland. Two-thirds of all homes in California were built before energy codes. No insulation, single-pane windows. AKA a huge waste of energy. New construction is easy, right? And it's sexy and it's fun. But it's not where the biggest problem is. If we're going to try to really combat climate change, it is looking at the existing buildings in this country. Tackle them separately, home by home, appliance by appliance? It would take a long time. It would be expensive, and it would exclude people who can't afford to electrify. Tackle one block together, you could buy appliances in bulk, guarantee work for contractors, drive down the cost. You could have neighbors talking up the benefits to their peers. To make it work on EcoBlock, Therese needs to bring together a whole host of people. Contractor, architect, experts on microgrid, experts on energy inside the homes. Uh, We have a civil engineer. We have a mobility expert. Solar contractor. Urban planners. Energy regulatory lawyer. Cooperative lawyer. We have a real estate lawyer. And they don't have the same language to talk to each other, so it takes a lot of meetings to kind of figure that out. It's an intimidating idea, but Therese loves being a bridge between all these people and the residents. Something about tapping into a community and strengthening the real relationships with big people, not the Facebook relationships or Instagram or or whatever, but the door-to-door, the face-to-face, the people that pass you day-to-day on the street. EcoBlock draws folks in. Well, most folks. I meet Steve Johnson midday on a Saturday. He just came back from a coffee with his buddies, a ritual he's followed for about 40 years. You want a little bit of iced tea or anything? Oh, thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Well, this house was bought by my immigrant grandparents in 1925. So this house has been in my family for almost 100 years. As a matter of fact, my mother was born in that room over there. Well, in 1930, you know, that's the way they did it. She was born at home on some newspapers. <laughs> Steve remembers coming here when he was a kid, hanging out with his grandparents, especially in the backyard. This actually is an apple tree that my father gave me. He planted it like 25 years ago. No way. My grandmother planted that tree maybe 90, 90 years ago. These two houses over here were a giant vacant lot. He points to the house next door and Cheryl and Iz's place. And those two vacant lots were a gigantic garden. It was a huge victory garden when I was a young boy. Steve bought the house from his grandmother nearly 50 years ago, and he rebuilt it himself. He's a retired contractor. You know, I spent maybe 30 years on and off remodeling this house, and I just finally got it completely remodeled for my taste. He insulated it, added skylights, and even put in his own gray water system that runs water from his drain straight to his garden. So every time I take a shower, I'm watering the apple tree or something like that. The guy generally uses very little energy. So by all accounts, you'd think he'd be all in on EcoBlock, right? You know, I'm 70 years old. I just didn't want to go through a lot of new construction all over again because I really don't need it. I'm, I wanted to show you, this is my PG&E bill. 
his monthly electricity bill is 46 bucks. And Steve's not the only holdout. 10 out of the 25 buildings here have not signed on to EcoBlock. Some people don't want to be so tied to their neighbors. Others have done unpermitted work on their homes and, despite assurances from the city, are worried they'll get in trouble. And then the other thing is that anytime we have a family party, I do all the cooking for everybody. I just can't imagine not cooking on gas. And the whole EcoBlock wanted to take away the gas. Capping off the gas line was one dream for this project. But here's the thing. State code says that if one person on a block wants a gas appliance, the whole gas line, stretching invisibly below our feet, must stay. That means the utility has to maintain it and customers have to pay for it. So Steve said no, but it wasn't so easy. There was a little bit of peer pressure in the beginning when everybody was sort of recruiting to have everybody sign up to join the project. Even before, Steve felt a bit of a generational divide. He's in his 70s. The residents leading EcoBlock are decades younger. He says they worked hard to include him anyway. Still. If you weren't really all for it, then everybody's wanting to convince you why you should be for it. And I kind of felt that I was starting to get sort of left out of the general scene, even though I'm kind of like the senior citizen on this block. It's not that Steve doesn't care about reducing carbon emissions. He just thinks we should tackle other stuff first like airplanes or shipping. He has real concerns about the supply of energy, the cost. What would happen if there were a power outage? It's just they were overwhelmingly, sweepingly changing everything in my life that I wanted. And he's not alone. People have all kinds of cultural and emotional ties to things like gas stoves. There is a fear of change, and not everyone wants to move so fast. When you compare EcoBlock to what it looked like at the start of the project, Here's what you'll notice. Not much has changed. Why? The street was chosen for the project right at the start of 2020. You may remember the life-altering events of that time. The pandemic has pushed prices beyond what anyone might have expected for those renovating, building a home, or buying one from a developer. Therese says they couldn't get the lumber to shore up roofs for solar. And this was on top of a budget based on 2016 numbers. And they were just woefully inadequate. The budget they're working with to electrify one city block is slightly more than eight million bucks. Five of that comes from the state. The rest is from an anonymous donor. So Therese is constantly applying for more grants to supplement that amount. The fact that the project has stretched out so long, that eats away at our budget. The project's scope has shrunk. Some residents told me they'd be getting new doors and stoves. They won't. Remember that microgrid and shared battery? While I was reporting this story, the grant for it fell through. At this point, residents will mainly be getting insulation, heat pumps, and solar panels. And red tape from the city and utility keeps slowing down the process. After I first talked with residents, PG&E decided to upgrade the electric lines on the street to support a bigger load. While the utility fast-tracked the process, it will still take several months. For the residents, the waiting can be frustrating. And it's most apparent in little ways, like Isaac and Vivian's fridge. They're pretty sure the project won't provide one, but they're holding out hope that some additional grant will come through. So every time I close it, kind of half seals it is that and then we come home and it's been like that all day and then like things start to defrost yeah and, and you know that that's just like leaking electricity it's been like two years like that and we're like we probably should replace it but maybe in the next three months EcoBlack will replace it they're grateful they don't have to deal with all the details all the behind the scenes work but they feel some pressure that this succeeds 
as I was like going door to door and trying to get people to sign a letter of intent to be part of the EcoBlock, I think probably some of that was like, did they trust me or not? You know, I often felt like some of my credibility as a neighbor is on the line here of this project going well. In the few months I spent reporting this story, I started rooting for EcoBlock. They're trying something new. If the project works, it could inspire other neighborhoods across the Bay Area and the country. But when you look at what this group set out to do, it doesn't seem like they'll achieve it. And that made me feel discouraged. Time is not on our side as we race to cut the harmful pollution our society was built on. If EcoBlock can't make it work, maybe this type of electrification is a non-starter. The way I see it is the opposite. Ram Rajagopal is an engineering professor at Stanford University. He's not involved in this project, but works on similar ones. He says, as a society, we're past the first phase of electrification, when it was niche. And that's usually the super rich dude in Palo Alto. But now electrification is going mainstream. Heat pumps outsold gas furnaces for the first time last year. And the Biden administration passed a major climate law offering billions for households to electrify. The fact that we are all frustrated now is a good sign. Because we're frustrated about the right thing. We're like really trying to replace these things, and we are now seeing the roadblocks. EcoBlock may not be the perfect model for neighborhood-scale electrification. It's more of a rough draft. It is a research project. There are lessons in its successes and in its failures. It would be a mistake to say, okay, we're not going to support this EcoBlock project because of, you know, things are too slow. Actually, I would say we now need to give money to figure out how to make it go fast. He thinks we need hundreds of projects like this one all over the country to figure out everyday crucial details. A block is a place we live, we rent or buy. We come with excitement or just because this place was the right size at the right price at the right time. We spend our days here. We hear the same sounds as our neighbors. We watch the same colors move across the sky. But a lot of times we don't know each other's names. And that's where this Oakland block is different. Therese, the researcher, feels that. We've struck a chord here. Oh, we just need to finish it. But, but I think there's something exciting about working with your neighbors. You're building those relationships and building that social resilience, I call it. It's not some utopia. But it is a place where social ties are stronger because of this shared project, where people could help to shield each other from extreme heat, wildfire smoke, power outages. Here's Vivian. I feel like all of this is helping us remember that we're like interconnected and that we can rely on each other. And, and I think that that's the only way that we're going to solve this climate crisis. In the past few months, roughly half the houses got new insulation and heat pumps. With luck, residents will be able to actually connect their new electric appliances to the power grid this summer. And come August, any and all residents will celebrate together at their annual block party. All right, you guys, help us sing. Happy birthday to you. You may see some solar panels, some new power lines, but in many ways, the change is one you won't see. The connections between the people who live here. 
happy birthday to you. KQED reporter Laura Clivens, she produced that story for the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, hosted by Aaron Baldessari. It's been just over a year since seven farm workers, immigrants from China and Mexico, were killed in mass shootings at two mushroom farms in Half Moon Bay. One nonprofit there has been providing survivors and the farm worker community with mental health support, like a music therapy class. KQED's Blanca Torres went to check it out. Musician Hernan Hernandez Jr. is running through scales on the accordion. Trying to follow along are five students, including Yesenia Garcia. She said she's always wanted to learn to play an instrument, especially one that's familiar to her growing up in Mexico. This is definitely a very hard instrument, um, but I, I'm seeing how this is really something that they can take home, practice, do on their off time. Music elevates the soul. It speaks to the soul. That's Dr. Belinda Hernandez-Arriaga. She's the founder and executive director of the nonprofit social service provider called ALAS, which is short for Ayudando Latinos a Soñar. Hernandez-Arriaga came up with the idea for this weekly music therapy class. She wanted to give the farmworker community here in Half Moon Bay a creative outlet to help process the trauma after the mass shooting last year. We really believe in the power of cultura cura, culture as healing. One of the best ways of healing trauma is through sensory integration and it's mental health in action. And I see the power it's having to shape our farmworker community. To jumpstart the program, Alas secured funding from the Silicon Valley Community Foundation to cover expenses, including the accordions. They cost around $600 a piece. One of the students is 24-year-old Pedro Romero Perez. Last year's attack took the life of his older brother. Romero Perez was also shot and has spent the past year recovering from his injuries. He says he sometimes feels lonely while he's been at home on medical leave. Romero Perez says he enjoys coming to the accordion class because it gives him an excuse to leave his house. He says the accordion is a beautiful instrument and hopes one day he'll be able to play songs from bands like Los Tigres del Norte. Los Tigres del Norte is one of the most prolific and celebrated Mexican Norteño bands, and this accordion class has a direct connection. The instructor, Hernán Hernández Jr., learned to play music from his father, Hernán Hernández Sr., the bass player in Los Tigres del Norte. Hernández Jr. says it's been rewarding to teach this group because the goal is to share his love of music with a community that's been hurting over the past year. 
I guess my biggest takeaway has just been the, the happiness I see, I see from all the students and uh, like we're connecting on a different level, like being able to just, just be friends with them and just hang out with them and like that to me is, is, is uh, the best part of this. Alas, the organization running the class plans to keep it going for another year. That was KQED's Blanca Torres in Half Moon Bay. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Susie Racho is our producer-director. With help from Jessica Carissa and editing help this week from Alex Gonzalez. The editors of Sold Out are Erica Kelly and Kevin Stark. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our intern is Lucen Mendel. And I'm Sasha Coca. You can catch all of our California stories on our podcast, The California Report magazine. Your state your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.